About eight years ago, I was the president of a local ministerium, a group of pastors, which met monthly at a local retreat center. While we had differing perspectives on just about everything, we got along fine. We'd enjoy a meal, have a brief business meeting, catch up with each other, and close with prayer. However, around that time, this is about September 2015, the Supreme Court had legalized same-gender marriage nationwide, and for two of my colleagues, this was a bridge too far. The meeting began like it usually did. With, we began with lunch, and then we began the business meeting. But one of the pastors brought up the Supreme Court decision and immediately started attacking the local Presbyterian pastor for being part of a denomination that, from his viewpoint, condoned such behavior. That was her first meeting, by the way, after taking that new call. A near shouting match broke out between another, another two pastors, accusing each other of one heresy or another. Much of the conflict, by the way, was not between conservatives or liberals. Most pastors there were socially conservative and evangelically oriented. The two pastors didn't even get to what they wanted from the ministerial group. My best guess is that they wanted us to issue a joint statement condemning same-gender marriage. In any case, they didn't like the reluctance from the rest of the ministerial group. So within a few weeks, despite attempts to talk to both, they left the ministerium with signed letters on official church stationery replete with proof texts. And if you don't know what a proof text is, this is what it is. Proof texts are verses of scripture, often lifted out of context, used to prove one's theological point. It's usually used as a weapon, a way to disagree with something you don't like. Proof texting, though, has a long history in the church, uh, beginning with Matthew's Gospel. Matthew proof texts the Old Testament all the time. So it's there even in the Bible. But this was a different kind of proof texting. This was a weaponization of Scripture. This was, this, often proof texting is used to divide people and define others based, based on their beliefs. Sometimes, if you look at the history of the church, different debates, sometimes the same text of Scripture is used by differing sides, just to make it more confusing. So if there's one thing to learn from Scripture, there's one thing to take away from this, it's that one verse does not always speak for the whole. Because the whole Bible, the whole, tells a complex, beautiful, multi-layered story of the relationship between God and God's people, God's creation, shaped by differing languages, cultures, and perspectives. Yet, we, being the human beings we are, and prone to being kind of tribal sometimes, we can get stuck in a particular worldview, a particular way of understanding the world that divides people into good and bad, clean and unclean, 
worthy or unworthy, or for the pastors, orthodox and heretic. Peter seems to have been stuck in such a way of understanding the world. However, we should give the Holy Spirit credit. Peter has undergone a massive transformation since we last saw him at the mountain in Galilee with Jesus. Presumably, he's one of the 11 who worshipped him and doubted. He's one of the, he, he is one of them who worshipped him and doubted. Since seeing the risen Christ face to face, the all-bark, no-bite fisherman has turned into a confident, fearless preacher, teacher, and healer. It's really quite impressive. He is an unabashed truth-teller, especially to men in power. By this point in Acts, Peter has suffered for his boldness. He's been whipped and imprisoned. One of the most promising young deacons, Stephen, was lynched by a mob. And at the beginning of our reading, Peter has left Jerusalem entirely because of a persecution that has broken out after Stephen's murder. Peter is staying at the beginning of the story with a certain Simon, the tanner, leaving Jerusalem during persecution. Up to this point, the gospel has not gone beyond Jews and converts to Judaism, despite Jesus' words in Matthew 28. All Jesus' disciples, all the women, even all the Greek-speaking deacons were Jews. However, things are about to change dramatically. Cornelius is not a Jew in the slightest. Even though he is a God-fearer with the rest of his household, he's not part of Israel. In fact, he could be said to be the opposite. He is the leader of soldiers. Soldiers which, by the way, are a foreign occupying force. Whatever his own personal faith or virtue, from a systemic standpoint, he is the oppressor. Yet, the Spirit has an obnoxious habit of making a point through such people, through the people we least expect. Both Cornelius and Peter have visions. It's easy to understand why they do. Because without divine guidance, this meeting would never have happened. No way. Through Cornelius's prayer and Peter's hunger, the Spirit brings about something new, a most unlikely meeting of two people who couldn't be more different. Peter's strange vision about animals, of course, has little to do with actual food. It has to do with people. Peter knows his Bible. Leviticus says animals are clean or unclean. Certain animals are food, certain animals are not. He also knows that Israelites are not to mix with other peoples or to worship the way they worship. Israel, after all, was to be a holy nation, set apart for God's service. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It says multiple times in the Old Testament. Israel was to be set apart for God's service. They were to be a light to the nations, certainly, but they weren't to be assimilated into the nations. Gentiles were to come to them, not they to the Gentiles. But the Spirit 
has a third way in mind. Peter, as a Jew, will not be asked to adopt Cornelius' culture and worldview, and neither will Cornelius be asked to adopt Peter's. Instead, both will be transformed by the Holy Spirit into a new community, connected beyond culture, language, or blood. They will be unlikely brothers in Christ. This is the problem with the old phrase, the Bible clearly says. There was a bumper sticker out a number of decades back that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Peter knew what Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Nehemiah said. However, God's spirit is not bound by the written word. God's spirit is not bound by the written word. God acts out of God's radical freedom to act. That doesn't mean that the Bi- there's no point to the Bible. To the contrary, the Bible is a reliable witness to God and to God's dealings with humanity throughout genera- from generation to generation. But the universalism is there from the beginning. And by universalism, I mean God's love for all peoples. God first chooses a family, Abraham's family, to be the carriers of the promise. But it was never just to end with Abraham. From the beginning in Genesis 12, God says, you are are to be a blessing to the nations. There's always a universal outlook in mind. We, don't, we dare not get tripped up by our own ways of understanding God's word because we're not the interpreters of God's word. It's the other way around. God's word interprets us. Peter is not just to be part of an isolated sect for the benefit of a few. Peter is part of a radical movement for the benefit of creation itself. Notice what happens during Peter's sermon. The Spirit interrupts him. He's midway through his sermon. It would be nice is all I'm saying. (laughs) As beautiful and as good as Peter's interpretation is, he does not have the last word. No preacher has the last word. No preacher can have the last word. Neither you nor I have the last word. God has the last word. God's word interprets us in our situation. God's word interpreted Cornelius as worthy to receive the gospel, despite who he was, maybe because of who he was. God's word interpreted Peter as needing to be there when it happened, when the spirit was set. What happened that day was just as much for Peter's benefit as it was for Cornelius's. Cornelius received the Holy Spirit that day, He received the promise of life in Jesus Christ, but Peter's heart was converted to a new way of understanding his new brother. Peter's view of God, how God acts in the world, was turned upside down that day. When we're tempted to build barriers to divide based on ideology and worldview, or worse, to back up our ideology with proof texts, 
May God remind us of this story. God, break our old narrow ways of seeing the world, of judging people, and open us to his love expressed for all people out of his radical freedom to act, to bring people into the fold we would not have otherwise expected to see. God, open us to his love. And God, help us to see the Bible not just as a collection of texts for the shelf, to be brought out to make a point, but as our life story, as the story of our life with God, beginning and ending with God's love for us and for the whole world. Let's pray. Lord God, your spirit shattered barriers between peoples, enabling all to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Open us to see how you are at work in the world so that we might reflect your love for all. Amen.